It's a real treat to be here, a peaceful service with lots of very dear, familiar faces. Very nice to see you all. Um, So I have got a three-point sermon with an acronym that I'm going to tell you at the beginning so that you remember it. Um, So we want our friends and family to know God, don't we? We long for people to know that he loves them and cares for them and will walk with them. Um, And I'm sure you're very familiar with this verse. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So the acronym I've used today is SIP, because you want to encourage your friends just to have a sip, taste and see that the Lord is good. So that will hopefully you'll remember that bit, the SIP, and and I'll go through and explain what the S, the I and the P stand for um, as we relate it to this passage from Acts. Now the passage from Acts, I'm sure you are all, in fact billions of people all over the planet are very, very familiar with this story of Paul being changed, transformed. It's such a remarkable story about this man who used to persecute and kill Christians, then having this encounter with Jesus and changing and instead preaching the gospel. We all know that story. Now, that story appears in the Bible a few times, which I'll I'll mention later on. But just before this bit, I do just want to set the scene and go back a little bit um, to, to explain what the situation is when Paul's saying it in this time, this time in Acts. And the S stands for suffering. I'll just read this quote to you from Nelson Mandela. To go to prison because of your convictions and be prepared to suffer for what you believe in is something worthwhile. It is an achievement for a man to do his duty on earth, irrespective of the consequences. Now, that describes something of Nelson Mandela's life, doesn't it? He went to prison for his beliefs and was prepared to suffer. And it also describes something of Paul's life. Paul also was imprisoned and suffered for his beliefs. And it's a challenge to us, suffering, isn't it? There's another quotation I found from John Piper, who I'm a fan of. Suffering is an essential part of the Christian life. You will suffer. You must suffer. My hope is that during our times together, we'll be prepared to suffer for the glory of God. Now, Paul, in this bit, he had longed to preach the gospel to the Jews. I'm sure he felt and was well-placed to do that. You know, he used to persecute them. He had this incredible story, and he just longed to preach to the Jews. And we read about that a little bit in Romans 9, where he just talks about this great longing for the Jews. But God sent him to the Gentiles. And he'd probably been waiting for this moment to come and speak to the Jews for years. They reckon he'd probably been a Christian for about 20 years by this point. And he goes to Jerusalem. And God had warned him that he was going to suffer there. Right. Um, And I just want to read, these are a few verses before the reading from today, but I just wanted to set it um, in context. So it says, the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. 
the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some shouted in the crowd, some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Okay, so you've got this scene where there's a mob of crowd, a crowd who are trying to kill Paul. They are out of control, probably, and accusing him, not quite sure of what. Now, Paul had been warned about suffering in Jerusalem before he went there. And in fact, some of his friends were saying, don't go. We don't want you to die yet. You've got a job to do to proclaim the gospel. Don't go to suffer. And actually, that's quite a strong message that from the world, isn't it? That suffering, any suffering, all suffering is bad. We should do everything that we can to avoid it. But actually, that's not quite true according to the Bible and according to the gospel. And there's a verse that, again, you're probably familiar with just before this, where Paul says, no, even though I know I've been warned that I'm going to suffer, I must still go. And this is, so this is the verse from Acts 20. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So he might have died. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So I think Paul's life is very interesting. And actually, from these two chapters, chapter 20 and 21 and 22 in Acts, There are a remarkable number of similarities between Paul's life and Jesus' life, which I'll just run through quickly, but then I do want to talk about suffering in in our lives as well. So, like Jesus, Paul traveled to Jerusalem with a group of disciples. Like Jesus, Paul had opposition from hostile Jewish people who plotted against his life. Like Jesus, Paul made or received three successive predictions of his coming suffering including being handed over to the Gentiles. Like Jesus, Paul had followers who tried to discourage him from going to Jerusalem and the fate that awaited him there. He said, don't go, please don't go, same as Jesus. Like Jesus, Paul declared his readiness to lay down his life. Like Jesus, Paul was determined to complete his ministry and not be deflected from it. Like Jesus, Paul expressed abandonment to the will of God. He came to Jerusalem to give something. He was unjustly arrested on the basis of a false accusation. So in this bit, they thought that he was somebody from a few years previously who'd come to um, uh, sort of um, whip up the people in order to rebel. So he was mistaken. They thought that, that he was that person. So he was arrested on a false accusation. Um, Paul alone was arrested. His disciples weren't. It was just him. That's like Jesus. Paul heard the mob crying out, away with him. So they weren't saying, put him out of the city. They were saying, rid the earth of him. Get rid of him. Kill him. 
And the Roman officer handling Paul's case did not know his true identity like Jesus. And like Jesus, Paul was associated with terrorists by a Roman official. So there's a remarkable number of similarities here between Jesus and Paul. Now, hopefully, I don't think any of you have had a past of killing Christians or putting them in prison. And we are unlikely at the moment in this country to be arrested for being a Christian or to be whipped or killed, right? So that's not the suffering that we are likely to experience at the moment. There are Christians around the world who are experiencing that kind of suffering, and we must keep praying for them. And I know that some of you um, very faithfully meet up to pray for the persecuted church. And there are people in the UK who might lose their jobs because of certain Christian views that they might state publicly or on Facebook. Um, There's various cases. My brother works for an organization called Christian Concern. So I'm always hearing about cases of Christians who are somehow being rejected for some of their views. We have got something of persecution in some ways, but it's not in this physical way that Paul's experiencing it here. However, I think, and I think the message partly of the Bible is, that we do experience suffering in life. And we should be prepared for it. Paul was prepared. I don't mind if I suffer, as long as I'm living the life that God has called me to. Now, our sufferings might be the stress and hassle of a very frenetic life. It might be the boredom and loneliness of a very isolated life. It might be back pain and physical illness. It might be an unresolved situation. It might be a very difficult character in your life who is um, causing you a lot of hurt and grief. There's all sorts of different sufferings that we experience in life, aren't there? And I think the challenge here from Paul and from Jesus with that echo is what is our attitude in the face of suffering? Are we prepared for suffering? And will we somehow, with God's help, embrace it and accept it and live trusting that God's got a bigger picture, that God will work through it, he'll work in you, he'll work through you, through suffering, in order to make your character better and in order to show the world something of his character. So that's my first point. That is the S, suffering. We should expect it. It's part of life. Are we ready? Is our attitude to be there? And I will just tell you a tiny, tiny story um, from yesterday. So my, uh, my situation at the moment, as some of you are aware, is quite um, frazzled. So I teach full time. I've got four children in four different schools. My husband's away during the week. So it's all very intense and busy. And I got to Friday night, was completely exhausted, six, six and a half weeks of teach, full-time teaching, and um, hadn't quite prepared this talk. I wasn't quite sure when I would. So my Saturdays are normally a great frenzied, frantic flurry of frenetic busyness, errands, six loads of washing I haven't normally done during the week, shopping, cooking, sorting everybody out. And suddenly at half four, and this has not happened on a Saturday before, I found myself with an empty house on my own in the quiet. Couldn't believe it. I hadn't organized it. It's other people having offered to take children or doing things without knowing my situation. And and I, you know, the challenge to me is, and I I wouldn't call my frenetic frenzy suffering as such, 
But still, my attitude is so important, isn't it, in, in how I deal with that and not getting stressed out and shouting at the children, but instead trusting God will provide what I need for today. And sometimes that is the attitude that we need to have, isn't it? God will provide what I need for this day, this hour, this time in front of me. So that's the I. Okay, next one. The I. <coughs> Sorry, that was the S. Suffering. I is for identify. Identify with the people that you're speaking to. Identify with them. So this is a quote from an entrepreneur, famous, well, I hadn't heard of him, but he does write lots of books and very successful person on the internet. He says, seizing new ground, making connections between people or ideas, working without a map, these are works of art. And if you do them, you're an artist, regardless of whether you wear a smock, use a computer, or work with others all day long. So it's making connections with people around you, people that you talk to, whether that is face-to-face, on the phone, through WhatsApp conversations, um, on the internet, however you communicate with people. Are you identifying with them, finding something in common? Hope you don't mind my little gifts. Me too? Oh, I'm like that too, finding something in common. So in this passage, we have Paul. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? You've got to imagine the scene here. So you've got this massive mob of people wanting to kill him and being violent, so much so that he had to be carried. He'd been whipped, and he says, may I speak to you? In Greek. So there's two surprising things about this. One is that he's speaking in Greek, so they thought that he was this Egyptian person who'd come to um, rebel. And he's quite polite. He says, may I speak to you, please? So the manner, and, and you know, in, in the Greek as well, it's courteous. It's polite. He's not stressed out saying, what are you doing? I am, I'm not this person. He's polite. It comes across as being quite calm. He replied, can you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the, or to the crowd. Um, so he said, please, may I speak? He asks permission to speak. And this um, commander lets him, probably because he's trying to control the crowd and, and thinks maybe he can get the crowd in order because it was um, a, a mob, a riot. So then Paul speaks to the, to the crowd and he says, so when he'd given him permission, Paul stood on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when the, there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, so in their language, saying, um, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictures, stri- strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you all are today. So he's saying, I'm a Jew, just like you. Although I wasn't born here, I was brought up. So they will have heard of this Gamaliel. He was a famous Pharisee, religious teacher of the law. I was brought up with him. I'm just like you. And when he says, I'm as zealous towards God as you all are today, that's a way of complimenting them. Because actually, that's probably most the best thing that they could hear is for someone to say, you are so zealous for God. So he's identifying with them and explaining something that he had in common with them. I am like you. 
And then he goes on to say, I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering um, unto prisons, both men and women, and also the high as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of elders from whom I also received letters in the brethren went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. So he's, so he's telling them about the persecution that he used to do. And again, they might have known that. They might have known that he was this person who used to persecute Christ, uh, Christians. And he says, you know, I, did me- I persecuted men and women. I killed people. I put people in prison. I was given uh, a letter from the commander that I was allowed to do that. So he's explaining his history to them. You know, this is his moment with this massive crowd. This is his moment to tell them about God. So he does explain that back bit to say, this is who I am. Now, when we identify with people, how do we do that? So I I quite often do assemblies up at um, the school where I teach. And so I will often start my assembly or, or give my assembly a title which was a question that I had when I was a teenager, before I was a Christian. So I did one saying, why does a God of love allow suffering? To say, you know, this question used to bother me, but now I think this. Or on Friday, my one was, is God a killjoy? You know, when I was about 15, I decided, I believed there was a God, but I didn't want to follow him. I thought he was against joy and living life to the full. And that's probably something that teenagers still think today. So I said, you know, I used to really question, isn't it all about following rules? Now, when you you talk to your friends, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a sermon that you give them. I think even this speech of Paul's probably just took two or three minutes. But you might just say one or two sentences. So you might say, you know, I am really struggling at the moment with physical pain or with feeling low. And sometimes I wonder if God is there. Your friends who aren't Christians might see and know that you're struggling with health or other issues. And they might be thinking, well, they talk about a God of love, but I'm not seeing that in the life. So you might somehow try to echo some thought that they might be having to show that you identify. that Actually, it's not always straightforward. It's not just that God is there and we live in a joyful life. Actually, suffering is part of life. And to put yourself in their shoes in terms of what they might be thinking. So identify with people. And then the other, the other thing that I sort of wondered was when Paul says to them, I was zealous just like you are. You know, something that um, is very popular these days is self-help books, isn't it? Self-help books are almost always on the non-fiction best-selling books. And people you know, must show that people are wanting to try and improve their lives and try to get a better place. And I think instead of, I don't think most people who aren't Christians would want us to say, you know, I can see that you're really zealous for God. But we might say, oh, I really admire the way that you um, keep calm. Or I really admire the way that you give your time so generously to charity. So, you know, that, that recognizing something in their life that is good. And then building on that. Okay, so that's the I. Can you remember what the S was? Very good. So suffering, we should expect to suffer. I identify with the people around us, like Paul did there. And then the P is to proclaim the good news. That's a very silly gift, but I couldn't find a good one. Um, Proclaim. So Paul's story. Now, Paul's story, this story of his... um, journey on Damascus and where he meets Jesus is told four times. So in Acts 22 here, 
He's telling the story in order to persuade the Jews. That's why he's telling his story. In Acts 26, he tells the story in order to persuade the Gentiles. In Philippians 3, he explains the story for theological understanding. And in 1 Timothy 1, he tells the story to fellow Christians for encouragement. So the same story is told in different contexts to different people for different purposes. And we are called to proclaim, aren't we? We're called to proclaim God's goodness, God's work in our lives, who God is and what he's done for us. And that's part of being a Christian. And it is important to do this. It's important for us to be talking about God. And it can be little things. It can be big miracles that we experienced 20 years ago, like Paul. It can be how God is changing and helping us day by day. Or it can be somebody else's story. Now, when I was preparing this, uh, two stories came to my mind of people who had suffered but had a good attitude, wanted to identify with people in similar situations in order to proclaim. So I'll just tell you, one of them I'm sure you're very familiar with is James and Virag when their son was so ill and they had such a difficult time, but their attitude shone out and they had the opportunity to speak to people and, and write a book about God's goodness and God's work and God's um, work through them and God's words through them um, and proclaimed God through that. And I've got a cousin who had a three-year-old daughter who was um, diagnosed with an awful and rare form of leukemia. But even that week after the diagnosis, and it, you know, it really looks like this child wasn't going to survive as well, they were able to say, you know, we don't understand, we don't want this to happen, but we trust that this is the path that God is leading us on at the moment. And we believe that we will come into contact with people who will be able to speak to and we want to walk this with a good attitude. And I found that very challenging and inspiring in order to proclaim. And so we must tell God's stories to people. And, you know, you don't have to have stories written down ready to try and get them into conversation. Because one of the promises that God says is that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind at the right time, in a time of need, the words and the stories and the verses to say. So as long as you are soaking yourself in God's word, being prayerful, walking in the spirit, God will prompt you to to say things at the right time. And that's very encouraging, isn't it? We don't have to work really, really hard to get them in. We just need to be alert and conscious and ready. So just to sum up from this passage, We're ready to suffer. Suffering is part of life and it's part of our calling as Christians to suffer, to identify with Jesus and to to live that life. Identify with the people that we're talking to, identify with the people around us, put ourselves in their shoes and proclaim that God is good and God loves us and God wants a relationship with us. And encourage our friends to have a sit, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Right, can I just pray for us now? Father God, thank you so much for a lot of encouragement from the Bible, from the lives of people in whom you worked. Thank you that you love each person here and that you want to use us in other people's lives. 
Thank you that you promise that you are with us and will use suffering for good. Help us to identify with those around us and help us and prompt us and inspire us and compel us to proclaim who you are. Give us opportunities, open the doors for that and help us to be bold and courageous and to speak with clarity and conviction. In Jesus' name, amen.